Our passage this morning is Leviticus chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bowl as the sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the Lord did, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban on its front he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also Moses took the anointing oil, and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times anointed the altar and all its utensils, and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you will uh, open our eyes as we read this passage. Help us to understand the message that you have for us in it. Help us to understand um, how this applies to us today. I pray that uh, my Father would be filled with your spirit as he brings us the word today, and that you will help us uh, to be attentive. In your name, amen. As we go back to Leviticus, after having been in Hebrews, and after having considered how different Christ was as a high priest than the, the high priests that were the order of Levi, how different they were than, than Aaron. How Aaron could only go into the Holy of Holies. He could only go in if he had such a cloud of incense so that he wouldn't see God because if he saw God, he would die. Just how different that is than Christ. Christ ascended into heaven and he went into the Holy of Holies, the true one, not the, not the pattern that was, in, that was in various places in Israel that was in the, the desert with them as they wandered for 40 years, but into the true Holy of Holies, the place where the Father dwells. And so he could go in there, and he could go in there and not just have to flee before the incense dissipated, but he could stay there forever. And so he wasn't about the type, he was about the substance, not the shadow. Or as the writer of Hebrews stated in Greek, the parabole, the pr- parable, which literally means to throw something alongside. So it's, a, it's thrown alongside so that you can see a picture of the thing that it is thrown alongside. It's intended to point to the real things. It's intended to draw attention to the real thing, but it's also intended to be known to not be the real thing. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 9, 9 and 10, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, 
which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerning concerned only with food and concerned only with foods and drink, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. The priestly service was a parable that was only physical. It couldn't make one spiritual. It couldn't cleanse the conscience. It couldn't give one from death. in their sins and trespasses to give them life. All it could do was be a parable. All it could do was be cast alongside something so that until Christ comes and makes it real, until Christ replaces the shadow with the substance, that's when these things became spiritual. So going through Exodus and Leviticus, we heard a lot of detail about how the tabernacle should look. God was very precise in how he laid out the tabernacle, which is one of the reasons that the writer of Hebrews says, so obviously you were supposed to understand this was a picture of something else. That's why it had to so precisely match. That's why it had to be made with such precision. That they were to do these sacrifices that were made to consecrate the high priest and how much detail that each one of those sacrifices as we went through Leviticus 1 through 7, we saw all the details of what the sacrifices were supposed to look like. And now we have, as we come back, we've talked about all the details. We've talked a couple times because it was repeated. That's how important it was. It was repeated a couple times what these garments look like. Because they were pointing to something that was spiritually significant. They were pointing back to truths. They were pointing back to the need for a greater high priest. The picture of his sons being anointed as priests is the picture of of Christians being anointed as priests. How the tabernacle is consecrated is a picture of how the true tabernacle is consecrated through the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we consider this passage and as we go back to Leviticus and continue on in it, we should really be focusing on two things. What was the physical parable showing them? Even if they didn't understand it, what was it showing them? What was it declaring to them? Because we're supposed to be able to see that now. And how is it reformed in the New Covenant? Because, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that these things, all these things were put in place, the foods, the drinks, the various washings, All these fleshly ordinances, they were imposed until the time of the Reformation. So how were these things restructured? What do these things look like for us that were shadows for them? As we go through Leviticus, we should ask ourselves the question, what is the substance for us? What do these look like now in the New Covenant? So with that, let's let's try to figure that out related to the consecration of Aaron and his sons. Verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bowl as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. So the Lord spoke to Moses. So it's... Immediately after telling Moses all that information about all those sacrifices, 
about how to do the burn offering and how to do the sin offering and how to do the peace offering and how to do the trespass offering and how to do the grain offering. After declaring to Moses how that they were to do all these things, he then says, these all required a priest, so you now have to go consecrate the priest. So prior to the giving of the law, people like Abraham were making sacrifices. But once the law is laid down, they now have to do sacrifices in a specific way, and they have to involve priests in order to do those sacrifices. Because God is, is giving a picture of what the church is supposed to look like in the world. So God says to Aaron, or excuse me, the Lord says to Moses, take Aaron. It obviously starts with Aaron. Who have we been talking about going through Hebrews? It's very clear that he's a parable of Christ. He's a physical picture of the spiritual reality that is fulfilled in Christ. All of the symbolism related to the work of the high priest, that's all dependent upon being a picture of Christ. And all the work of the priest, because all the sacrifices is done by the priest, but to be a priest, you had to be the son of Aaron, who was the high priest. So the picture is it starts with the high priest. So we should all understand the significance of that. When the laws related to worship changed, when the time of Reformation came, it was because of the establishment of Christ as the high priest. When Moses rewrites how you do sacrifices, before you just build an altar and you did the sacrifice, Moses himself had done that. Abraham had done that. Multiple people had done that. Noah did that. You know, Abel did that. And now all of a sudden, a, a high priest is appointed and worship is reformed. It is changed. It is given a different form. And that's exactly what happens when Christ comes. Worship is given a different form. And so they're taking Aaron, and they're going to change how all sacrifices are to be done because Aaron is appointed to be the high priest. And so all the other work of other priests changes because it's all derived from the responsibilities of the high priest. They take Aaron and his sons with him. When Aaron was consecrated, with him were his sons. And they were appointed as priests. They were not priests until Aaron was made high priest. And again, this is a picture of Christ. That when Christ was established as the high priest, his sons also became priests. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we look at Christ, yes, God the Father is the Father. But when we look at Christ, we should recognize he's the Everlasting Father. And so he is the Father of all priests. Just like Aaron, the high priest, was the Father of of all the Levitical priests, Christ is the father of all Melchizedekian priests. And Christ's children, the ones who are adopted by God, the one who are, that, that he is their head, they're born again to be priests. And when they become of age, they're made into priests. So you take Aaron and his sons in the garments. It's going to give more details. It's going to go through the list of garments, but it starts by just saying, take the garments. When Christ was reclothed, he was reclothed when he took on flesh, and then when he rose from the dead and took on flesh that was incorruptible. These are new garments that he put on. 
even when he walked and he was born under the law to do the works of the law, to submit to the law. Those are new garments. The lawgiver became the one under the law. (coughs) But his children also. It talks multiple times about us being reclothed. When you're saved, you are reclothed. When you become a priest, you are reclothed. And we know what the cloth is. The clothing is the righteous acts of the saints. God saves us, right? It says in Ephesians 2 that we're new creatures in Jesus Christ, created for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He, when we're made priests, he gives us new clothes. You cannot think that the clothes are separate from the priesthood any more than they were separate from the priesthood for Aaron and his sons. Then the anointing oil. We're going to talk more as we go through the anointing oil, but the anointing oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And just as you cannot be a son of Christ the high priest without new clothes, you can't be the son of Christ the high priest without having received the anointing oil. He gives the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, as it says in Acts 2. If anyone, and this is a special oil, right? If anybody produced any other oil that was like it, they were to be cut off. They were to be put to death is what the penalty is. Because to pretend like you have the Holy Spirit is blasphemy towards God. And God judges it harshly. So God says the the anointing oil, this physical parable of the Holy Spirit, that if you violate the physical parable, you're to be put to death. How much more the reality. All All the sons of the true high priest, all the sons of Christ, they're anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And they would take a bull as the sin offering. The sin offering is a picture of justification, making someone right with God. We've just been reading in Hebrews that Aaron and his sons were consecrated by the, by the blood of a bull, but for Christ to be consecrated, he needed more than the blood of a bull because he wasn't just for a physical tabernacle. He was, he was consecrated for the perfect tabernacle, the one in heaven, the one that's made without hands. And so he is the sacrifice. He himself laid down his life. Aaron and his sons were consecrated by the blood of a bull, but Christ didn't need to be sanctified. He needed to be designated as the high priest and be consecrated by laying down his life. But his offspring are consecrated by his blood. His blood is not about entering into a parable of the priesthood. His blood is about entering into the true priesthood. And then two rams... So the blood of one of the rams was sprinkled around the altar. That's what you were to do, that first ram. That's the picture being cut off from the judgment to come. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice so that we don't receive the judgments of hell. The altar burnt offering is that physical parable of hell. So they would sprinkle the blood around it to show that that blood cut off the judgment for the priests. And that's what they did with the first ram. But then the blood of the other ram, it was put on Aaron's right ear and on the right ear of his sons. The blood was also put on their right thumb and their right toe. The picture being through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that what you listen to changes, what you do with your hands changes, the places you go changes. 
It's the picture that his blood didn't just come and have no effect, just get you out of hell by having that picture of the the blood being sprinkled around the altar to block you from the, the judgment that was in the altar burnt offering. But to actually change what you did, change where you go, change how you how you think, how you listen. And so those two rams are pictures of the effect of Christ, the effect of what his sacrifice was, not just to cause us to escape judgment, but to cause us to walk in righteousness. <coughs> and obviously, you see with Aaron's sons, you see with Nadab and Abihu, who in a couple chapters are going to be struck down by God. They're going to be killed. God made it very clear that the blood of rams didn't work. The blood of rams were just a picture. They didn't work. But that's not true for the blood of Christ. His sacrifice actually does these things. His sacrifice actually delivers you from sin. His sacrifice actually causes you to walk differently, to act differently, to do different things, to listen to different things, to hear different words, right? It talks about the picture of salvation is that God gives you ears to hear. That's what Christ's sacrifice actually did. Theirs was just this parable. Christ is real and has a real effect. And then they would take a basket of unleavened bread. If you remember back when you... When we talked about that bread, they had to bring three, three different loaves of bread, or three different kinds of bread, I should say, because there were multiple of each kind. You know, the one represents the Word of God that was like baked and prepared, kind of like the picture of a sermon where there's been, been consideration of the passage, where it's been meditated on, where, it's been, where, where the things from it have been considered and built, and not just that you just... Deal with the words. And then there's the bread that was flatter, more like a cracker that had been pierced that, you know, picturing the word that's read and studied on a regular basis where the, you can't make a constant effort. I think this is a picture of the Bible being read in the home, the Bible being read when you're, when you're reading it for yourself. Is yes, you think about it. Yes, there's some preparation. But it's not like the preparation of a sermon. And then the last kind was very thin. It was anointed with oil after it was baked. It was cooked very quickly. It's the picture of the Word of God being consumed without meditation and study, but still through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's when a verse comes to mind that convicts you right then. The priests were required to eat of all these different kinds. They were required to eat of all three of these, and they, they were to eat on that for, three, for, a, for a full week from those three different kinds of bread, in addition to the, the second ram, they would also eat the meat from the second ram. But the point is that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As we think of what it means to be a priest, we should recognize how central the word of God was, that central the grain was to them, and how central the word of God is to be to us. Why do we think we're walking out of a priest if we're not dwelling in the Word of God? So he was to gather the Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, 
the bread and then gather all the congregation together. As they performed this ritual, it was not to be a private thing. God has assigned these parables to them so that they could be seen. And even if didn't pe- people didn't understand them, it would have been obvious to them that they were just pictures, that they were representing something else because they weren't effectual for the people that were made priests. The people that were made priests, they still walked in their sins. The people who made priests, Aaron, who had made the golden calf 40 days, or I guess at this point it's like nine months before. But still, he, he, he wasn't walking in righteousness. It wasn't that long before he rebels. He and Miriam rebel against Moses. They would have known this was not, this was not the substance. This was just the shadow as much as they would have lied to themselves about it. Because they continued to lie to themselves about it so that when Christ comes, they're trying to correct Christ because they're so sure of their righteousness. So they would gather them at the door of the meeting, remember, or the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Remember that in uh, Exodus 40, when they set up the tabernacle, the glory of God settled on the holy place. So as they meet at the door of the tabernacle, God's presence was already there. God was already in the Holy of Holies. It wasn't like they're saying that the Holy of Holies comes because of the priest. No, the Holy of Holies was there. God's presence was there in the tabernacle before the high priest was made the high priest, before he was consecrated. So as they gathered, they had the picture that they couldn't see... They couldn't have God in their presence. They needed some means to have God in their presence. So they gathered at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. As a picture of the log, Moses was fulfilling the things that God instructed him. So people could see how it was the law that would establish the true high priest. Right? Because these are picture spiritual realities. The reality is... The law is a tutor that leads you to Christ. The law is what proved Christ, Christ was righteous, and the law is what re, leads people to be consecrated. This is the picture. As Aaron's doing all this, as Aaron's sprinkling them with the anointing oil, as Aaron's doing all this, it's that picture that the law is. The law doesn't save, but the law points toward salvation. The picture of the law, Moses doing the things that God, the Lord commanded him. It was, it was the law that established that, that, that Christ was the sacrifice that was sufficient, that he was the sacrifice that was better than the blood of, of, of bulls and the blood of rams. And so then the congregation was gathered together. They did what they were commanded. They gathered together. This is the picture the visible church would have before it. The picture of the sacrifices that were required to reconcile God to man. The sacrifices that were required for a man to go into the presence of God. The whole congregation had it. That doesn't mean they understood them. That doesn't mean they trusted in them. But it does mean that they knew something about about these sacrifices. Because they were there. And that's still true for the visible church today. They all profess Christ. Even the ones that are very far off from Christ, they all have an understanding that Christ sacrificed himself, that Christ died. 
And they might twist it, they might ignore it, they might do everything that Israel did with it. But there's still a spiritual reality that the visible church, what makes the visible church the visible church, is that they're declaring Christ, rightly or wrongly. And what established the congregation of Israel as the people of God was not that they understood that they had faith, that they were the people of God, it's that they had the picture. Just like the visible church now has the picture of what it takes. doesn't mean that everybody has faith. But it does mean that everybody understands that the, if they're a Christian, if they profess to be a Christian, they have some understanding that it was Christ who had to die in order for them to be reconciled to God. So they all gathered at the door of the tabernacle of meeting where God's glory was there. They were told about when they were told about all these various offerings, what God expected them to do, this would always been with the sin offering and the declaration of the burnt offering, this would always be, you were doing this in front of the door of the tabernacle. And that's where God was as they were being told these things. Because they were told these things after God's glory came. So now they gathered to see a picture of the people, a picture of how people could only be sanctified through the shedding of blood for people to enter, to draw even to the holy place. Blood had to be shed. Then Moses said to the congregation, Moses made it very clear he was not operating on his authority. He's not saying, I'm the leader, this is what we should do. He was speaking as the law. This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. He was simply declaring someone else's will. He was not making the decision. He was declaring what God had made known through him. Just like... (coughs) (coughs) Moses didn't say, this is the Christ based on my will, by my knowledge. He shows that Christ was the Christ because he walked in perfect obedience to the commandments of God. Verses 6 through 9. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, put the ephod on him, He girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him and he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head, also on the turban, on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So then Moses brought Aaron and his son. So the whole congregation was gathered together and they all gathered together to see the sacred to see the consecration of Aaron and his sons. It was done before everybody, so everybody could see the picture of who was a priest of the Most High and who was not. So he washed them with water. So this is a washing, like it talks about (coughs) until the time of Reformation. This is one of the washings that clearly gets, gets reformed. It's the picture of your whole body being washed that, that John ta- excuse me that Jesus talks about at the Last Supper, that you're washed from head to foot. This is the first thing that had to happen. This was the first thing that had to be done. And yes, Christ was pure, but there's a reason why he had to be baptized. He had to be baptized for the same reason that Aaron had to be baptized. Aaron it was just a picture of being cleansed, because Aaron wasn't clean. Christ was clean, but he still had the picture of being washed, the picture of being made 
fit for the priesthood. (coughs) He started to act like a priest after he was baptized by John the Baptist. But they all had to be washed. It wasn't just the high priest. They all had to be washed. That picture of being cleansed by the law of God, which they were just physically cleansed by Moses. But the picture is those who are saved are spiritually cleansed to the law of God. I mean, the law of God, it says in in 2 Corinthians 3, that we look in the face of Moses and we're transformed from glory to glory. The law of Moses is still what cleanses through the work of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Through the writing of the law in our hearts and on our minds. So that's what it looks like after the time of Reformation. Then he put the tunic on him. So this is on Aaron. Aaron was given new clothes. And his clothes were a lot more elaborate than the clothes of his sons. So the innermost garment that he wore was the tunic. And it represents his righteousness. All the things that he has on, out, on the outside, the declaration of holiness to the Lord, the, the fact that he's that prophet that Moses spoke about, all these things that are pointed to by the other garments, they're all undergirded by the perfect righteous acts that Christ did. And so he's given new clothes, and the first thing that's put on him <coughs> is the tunic. That just like it is for the for his sons, it's his righteous acts. And then gird him with a sash. And I think that sash is the same thing that that Chris read about in, in Ephesians six fourteen. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness that Christ was girded with truth. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It starts with him being truth. It starts with him. His righteousness is based on truth. His righteousness is based on who God is, on the reality of what the world's like. And so the sash is what undergirds all the other things that the high priest pictures. And then clothe them with the robe. So on top of the on top of the tunic was a robe. This is the garment that could be seen. His righteousness was underneath. <coughs> the truth was underneath, but the, the robe that could be seen, that I remember it had pomegranates and bells at the bottom of it, that picture of fruitfulness, the picture of, of proclamation of being known, those bells and the pomegranates. That's the effect of Christ. That's what can be seen of Christ. That's if you look around in the world. That is what can be seen of Christ in the world. The world has been reformed by Christ. By His coming, the world changed in so many ways that in our, in our 21st century viewpoint, we can't even understand the level that the world has changed. But when we look at the world and see how much different it is, when we look at how people used to just bow down before all these idols all over the world, that they used to eat human flesh everywhere. As we look at this and we just, we should recognize that the reason is, is that Christ came as high priest. And he came and he makes his righteousness known. He is transforming the world. The Holy Spirit was sent to convict the world of sin. of righteousness and of judgment. 
And so the righteous acts of the holy of the high priest, we can see them, the spiritual acts, we can see them in the world around us because God is transforming the world. Even as it's also so easy for us to look around and see the horror of how many millions of children that the United States has slaughtered in idolatry. But at the same time, we can look and see it's still constrained compared to what it was before. It's still constrained. God is still changing the world and he will continue to rule the world with the rod of iron. In his righteousness, his garments that can be seen, his fruitfulness, the declaration of the gospel that will continue to go and it will be seen more and more. Because the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's the promise. So that, that garment that Aaron was clothed with so that he would walk around and people would see these pomegranates on it and they'd see these bells so that we can see what God is doing in the world. It is so easy for us to sit back and not see the high priest that is ruling now. We're supposed to look and see. Look and see how God has changed the world because Jesus Christ came, because he poured out his Holy Spirit. (coughs) And then above the robe, he put on the ephod. The ephod is a sign of being a prophet. You know, other than the high priest prophesying that the death of Christ would cause was necessary to save a whole nation. You don't hear about high priests prophesying very much. But we do know Christ prophesied. We know that he was the prophet that was like unto Moses. There was promise that anybody wouldn't hear that high priest, that excuse me, not that high priest, that prophet that they would be they would be condemned. So Christ was obviously the prophet that came who would judge any that would not hear. And he girded himself with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You know, the band of the ephod was made the same way as the ephod. I think the picture here is Christ not only came as a prophet, because he did come as a prophet, but he was also what bound him so that you knew he was a prophet was prophecy. Because the prophets who went before him, whether it was Isaiah or whether it was Jeremiah or whether it was Ezekiel or whether, name the prophet, Moses, the prophets that came before him declared that he was the prophet. So like in Matthew eleven two through 6, and when John had heard in prison, John the Baptist had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When when they go, Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Christ's answer is, Go look at the prophets. Go look at what they said about me. And you see that it's being fulfilled in your sight. So therefore, you can know it's, the, it's the, the, the girding of the ephod. It's the proving that he is that prophet. Because that's what the prophets did. They proved it. They proved that Christ was the Messiah. And with it, tied the ephod on him. The prophets that came before him, they tied the ephod on him. They said, this is the prophet. This is the Messiah. Then put the breastplate on him. 
So the breastplate with the jewels, one representing each of the tribes of Israel. Picturing his love, right? The, the high priest went in and he had, there's no evidence that he had much care at all for the people of Israel. But it's picturing a reality for Christ that Christ does, did care, and does care about the true Israel, his chosen people. Now it says in Exodus 20, 30, 28, 30, when it's talking about making the, the breastplate, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. This is just a picture of Christ. Aaron's doing this. They put it on him. Aaron dresses him in all these things. And people look at it and they wonder. And then Christ comes and we're supposed to look at that and say, Christ did that because it was picturing his love for the people. And when we think of the Reformation, the time of Reformation, the things that happen afterwards, we're supposed to look and we're supposed to say, we see what God does for his church because Because God loves his people. God loves those who he saves. That he loves his bride. So Aaron did it physically. The picture of bearing Israel before the Father. Over his heart as a testimony of caring. But Christ actually cares. And he actually brings us into the Father. And he actually brings the true Israel into the presence of the Lord. Then he put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate. Urim and Thummim were a physical means that God gave to Israel so that he could reveal his will. For example, I mean, it says this in Ezra and other places, but Moses speaking about it to Joshua in Numbers twenty-seven twenty-one. He being Joshua shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all, his, all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So the Urim and the Thummim were a picture of the judgment of God, of a, about what God was doing with Israel, about telling them what to do, about guiding them. And this is fulfilled spiritually in Christ. When Christ goes, he says, I will send my spirit to be your guide. No longer do we have the Urim and the Thummim as the guide. Christ actually is directing all things for the glory of God. All things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. So he has the Urim and the Thummim, which the high priest is declaring the judgments of God. But now he doesn't do it by casting these dies or whatever they were. He's doing it through the Holy Spirit, revealing and guiding. So how much greater is the is the guidance that God gives us now than what he did when the high priest would throw whatever these things were on the ground and read God's will from them. And then he put the turban on his head. Aaron had to wear a turban on his head. When the instructions were given, the plate was specified first, the plate that said holiness to the Lord. And then the turban was given as the means to bear the plate. And I think the picture here is he needed the turban to cover his head. So when he came into the holy place, the turban with the statement, holiness to the Lord, if, if that physical high priest was seen, there was no holiness in Aaron. There was nothing special about Aaron. He had to be covered. Christ doesn't need to wear a, a turban. 
He is actually holiness to the Lord. He is actually the holiness. He is actually what Aaron had to wear a sign declaring that he would be, but Christ came and he was the substance and not just the shadow. Then on the turban, Moses put on the turban and then he brings on the plate. On its front, he put the golden plate so that it could be seen. And as it says in Exodus 28, 38, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Christ, because of his holiness, Aaron would have this, this sign on his head that was to make it so that God would accept their physical offerings. Christ is actually holiness to the Lord. He doesn't have a sign. He is the thing. And so because of that, our spiritual offerings can be made acceptable to God. Because without them coming through Christ, any service that we do is not acceptable to God. Every service that we do has some intermingling of sin in it because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, they aren't acceptable, but they're made acceptable because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. To make the offerings acceptable you look in isaiah where god's saying these make me want to vomit you look in malachi where he says would anybody else accept this garbage that you bring me to make them acceptable required a greater priest than aaron ever could be it required not a plate but a reality christ walking in true perfect righteousness before god he was true holiness before the lord he could truly bear our iniquities in before the lord And he can make our offerings acceptable before the Lord. Then the holy crown, that word translated crown really means to hold aloof, to separate for a higher role, not like in a negative way. And Aaron did not achieve that. See him falling into similar sins as as the people around him. But it was pointing to Christ. Christ was shown to be separate. Christ was shown to be different than everybody around him. He did not follow how all they followed. 1 Peter 2, 23, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's the holy crown Christ wore. Not not some plate that says that you're special but the reality of being special, the reality of being different than the world, the reality of of coming as a servant and dying as the perfect Lamb of God. So as the Lord had commanded Moses, Moses is anointing the high, or excuse me, he's consecrating the high priest, he's dressing the high priest, just like he told him months before in great detail. But he told him those things so that we could understand spiritual realities, that he gave these physical parables so that we could understand what was really required, what was really required to have a priesthood that was acceptable to God, what was really required to make sacrifices acceptable to God. It required Jesus Christ, who was holiness to the Lord. <coughs> Verses 10 through 13. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils, the laver and its base to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. 
Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. So also in addition to the dressing of the high priest, he anointed things with oil. It's very significant that the dressing of the high priest happens before the anointing oil is sprinkled. Because that's so significant because Christ said, I must go to my Father for the Spirit to come. And the anointing oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The anointing has to happen after the dressing of the high priest. Christ came in holiness. Christ became the high priest. He was dressed as the prophet. He, all these things had to happen before the sprinkling, before the anointing. Because the Holy Spirit was sent because of what Christ did. And so the high priest was dressed. The, you know, the disciples were made the disciples. You have the picture, right? His first children, the first generation of the children of Christ are his apostles. And they're designated as his apostles before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why the sons of Aaron are washed before the things are anointed. So then Moses took the anointing oil. And again, this is an oil that had a very specific mixture that it was death penalty to make another oil like it because it was the picture of the third person of God. The people who want to reject the law of God saying they are now under the Spirit don't understand that it's the law of God that brings to the Spirit of God that is the tutor that leads to Christ. And so it's Moses that takes the anointing oil. It's Moses that causes... The, the oil to be anointed on the people and on the tabernacle. So Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the true tabernacle holy. And not just the one in heaven, but the tabernacle where God is tabernacling now. It's the Holy Spirit that makes Christians holy. It's the Holy Spirit that makes... It's because the Holy Spirit's presence is there. It's the anointing oil is sprinkled on the tabernacle. The heart of the believers. The consecration of the high priest and the sprinkling of the anointing oil was the picture and the order of what Christ came to do. He came to make a holy people. And he did that by ascending to the presence of the Father, going into the Holy of Holies, and sending his Spirit just didn't anoint the, the tabernacle, but all that was in it. The oil, the oil wasn't, just, wasn't just sprinkled on the outside, but all the things in the tabernacle. It's through the Spirit of God that that picture of the table of showbread, that it's through the Spirit of God that reading the Word of God is effectual. It's through the Spirit of God that the lampstand and that we can be the light of the world, that requires the Spirit of God. It requires the anointing with the anointing oil. That altar of, of incense, the prayers that represents the prayer of the saints, the reason the prayers of the saints are effectual is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. All these things in the tabernacle, they all had to be, they all had to be anointed with oil because it's the Holy Spirit that makes these things effectual, that makes the pictures. We can go through the motions. We can, we can pretend that, that we're reading the Word of God and digesting the Word of God, but without the Holy Spirit, you don't get the nourishment from it. We can pray, but without the work of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't hear our prayers. We can could, we could shine forth light, but the light in us, it's so easy for it to be darkness. And that light for it to be seen by others, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So all that was in it and consecrated them. He was the one that made them separate from the world. They were made of gold. They were made of physical things of the world. But what that made them effectual was the anointing oil. What made them set apart to God was the anointing oil. And that's still true today. In the time of Reformation, what makes somebody effective? There's people out there that preach that do not know God. But it's still the effect of God, the Holy Spirit, that causes sin of causes conviction of sin to come. There's people who read the word and they read it every day and they, have, they can't understand what it means because it can only be understandable through the word of God, through the spirit of God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then he sprinkles some of it. It was not just the things in the tabernacle that were made holy, but it was also the things in the courtyard. So he sprinkled some on the altar seven times. This was first commanded in Exodus 30, and it didn't specify how many times, just said that it had to be anointed. Seven in Scripture represents completeness. The picture is that the sacrifices are only acceptable to God through the work of the Holy Spirit, by His sanctifying work. People make all kinds of sacrifices. They make those sacrifices to make themselves feel good. They take it out, they do it out of pride so that other people can see them. They do it because they, they feel self-righteous when they care for the poor or when they, they, they do the things that, that they think are so holy and good. But they're only holy and good if it's through the work of the Holy Spirit. They're only holy and good if it's for the glory of God rather than the glory of man. Only through the Spirit of God are our sacrifices sanctified. Because they bring glory to God rather than to ourselves. Then he anointed the altar. All of this is made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. Both the resulting sacrifices and all its utensils, the means through which the sacrifice is made. It's not just the end that's holy, but it's the process is to be holy as well. So all those utensils, they had to be anointed. The means that we use, they have to be anointed by God. We can't just go, well, look at all these people that made a profession of faith. Look at all these people that are even walking after God. That's not, that's not the standard. They all have to be anointed. Our means have to be anointed and not just the end by the Holy Spirit. And the labor in its base. The labor is where the priests went to wash their feet and their hands before they ministered. And it was probably too small. When, when Moses washed Aaron and his sons, he had to wash them from the top of their head to the sole of their foot. The labor was probably too small for them to do more than to wash their hands and their feet. But Moses washed them to reclothe them. So there's, there's some commentaries. I know Gil says this, that he thought that the, obviously the labor had to be consecrated before, before it could be used to wash Aaron and his sons. But that flips the picture all around. The Holy Spirit comes because Christ was made high priest. And so, so no, I think that this is the order that's represented in Scripture. He anoints the laver because now those who are priests, those who have been washed, those who have been reclothed, those who, those who have the clothes of righteousness and those who have the belt of truth, they can now be cleansed through the Holy Spirit. They can have their sins that they pick up walking through the world, that they can be cleansed of them, which is the picture of the laver. 
And so again, like I said at the beginning, that we should see what's being pictured here, and then we should also say what does it look like in the time of Reformation. The time of Reformation, it's still the Holy, the, the Lord's Supper. It's still the picture that we're supposed to to not just go, I've repented of my sin and I become a priest. We're supposed to go, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm looking for it. I'm examining it. I'm washing my hands. I'm washing my feet. I'm still being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. So the labor in its base to consecrate them. The means by which we are cleansed is the Spirit and the Word. That's how we're cleansed. And so it's, it's by the work of Christ that we can have sin removed from our lives, that our, that our garments can be made spotless. And then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. And we know, again, this is the picture. Christ had the Spirit of God more than anyone else. It's a picture of joy. It's a picture of gladness. Psalm 45, 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Christ had the Spirit more than any of us have the Spirit. While other things get sprinkled, the oil is poured on the high priest's head. It's very tied to the picture of unity in the church, too. The unity of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the body of Christ. Psalm 133, 1 through 3, a song of a sense of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers, for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And you go to Ephesians 4, and it says what unity is, is unity is in the Spirit when the Spirit brings us to the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the picture of what happens when the, the oil is poured out on Christ, on His head, but it ends up affecting the rest. It's dripping down His beard. It drips down His body because His whole body has the Spirit of joy. The whole body has the Spirit of gladness. The whole body has the Holy Spirit. So it anointed him. Aaron had the special oil poured on him, but it had no effect. He just got greasy. But it was picturing a much more important thing, the effect of the Holy Spirit upon the true priests. Anointed him to consecrate him. It set him physically apart. It set him apart so that people knew he was the high priest. When they would do it in the future to anoint the next high priest, people would know that he was the anointed high priest. But in the end, Annas and Caiaphas still wanted to put Christ to death because it had no effect except physical. It was just a physical parable so that we could understand what Christ came to do and the effect that Christ had. Christ came and he was spiritually set apart. He spiritually sets apart his body. It can be seen physically the church is to be a peculiar people, but not because of their actions. Their actions are different because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So then Moses brought Aaron's sons because of the Spirit of God being on Christ is why Aaron's sons are consecrated (coughs) and set apart and he put tunics on them. Again, they get 
different clothes put on them. Aaron has the whole garb for the high priest. Moses puts all that on. Then Aaron, or excuse me, then Moses closes, clothes Aaron's sons. Because the point is, is that this is when Aaron's sons get the, the garments, which are the picture of the righteous acts of the saints. Through Christ, pouring out the Holy Spirit, through them being consecrated by the sprinkling of the anointing oil, that's how they get the righteous acts. Look at Peter before Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost. That's why Christ, or that's why the, the sons of Aaron, they get the righteous acts of the saint. They get the garments after the anointing oil is poured out, after it's poured out on the head of Aaron, after it sprinkles the tabernacle. And then girded with sashes. And I think the sash still represents truth, the belt of truth. Through the law, through the spirit of God, God opens our eyes to the truth of who he is, to the truth of what he expects. Christians have to be a people of truth. (coughs) Because that's what girds our righteous acts. Without truth, without knowledge of what is true and what is false, without knowledge of what is righteous and what is not righteous, We can't have righteous acts. Truth is required. Then he put hats on them. For them to minister before God, they needed to have their heads covered. That was for Aaron's sons. Now men minister before God, they need to have their heads uncovered. I think that's why in 1 Corinthians 11, when the church in Corinth is saying, so why don't women have their head covered, or their head uncovered? And Paul explains... The, the question really is, well, aren't we all priests now? Shouldn't we have our head uncovered? Because men have their head uncovered. The reason is the Levitical priests needed to have a cloth on their head because they had no covering. They had no covering at all. But now Christ comes. And now men, because God still has the picture of the bride has a covering, now men don't have a covering on their head because... We don't need one. We actually have the substance and not the shadow. They had to have a covering so that they didn't get judged by God. We have a covering, Christ. So we don't need to wear a head covering. The Levitical priests had all had to wear head coverings whenever they ministered before God. In Christ, he is our covering, so we don't need a piece of cloth. So as the Lord had commanded Moses, consecration can only happen in obedience to God. Whether physical consecration was being done here or spiritual consecration, Moses had to do it in accordance with the commandments of God for them to be truly consecrated. <laughs> so let me give you a few applications. First is God gave ineffectual ceremonies. Ceremonies that we know didn't make a people holy. The high priest could wear a sign, a plate that said holiness to the Lord all they wanted, and they weren't holy. The ceremonies were physical only. They didn't have any spiritual effect. Putting the blood on the thumbs thumbs and the toes of the priest did not cause them to walk in righteousness because it could not cleanse the conscience. But that's not true of Christ's sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice actually breaks the power of sin. Christ's sacrifice truly through the work of the Holy Spirit causes the actions of the priests of the order of Melchizedek to be different. 
He causes them to go different, to walk differently. He causes them to act differently. He causes them to think differently. You look at the church, and I think so much of the church thinks that there's no difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But that's not true. Christ came in substance. All those ineffectual ceremonies, they become effectual after the time of Reformation. The blood of Christ on your hands, the blood of Christ on your toes, the blood of Christ causes you to behave differently. I think even the blood on, of, on the high priest's ear, God opens his ears to the circumcised. He opens his ears to those who trust in him, those who he has saved. <coughs> so another application related to that application. The Israelites were convinced that they were the righteous people of God. Because of their actions, because they had their ceremonies, when they walked in unrighteousness, they were so full of pride that they just became abusive to others rather than actually understanding that they were failing. Instead of going, well, clearly this, Adab and Abihu, they died right away. Clearly this was not about making a holy period. People, this was about a picture. But instead of saying that, they said, no, it's effectual to make people holy. And when you say it's effectual to make people holy, what you have to do is you have to redefine holiness, which is exactly what Israel did. And that's exactly what churches do all the time today. They go, well, he prayed a prayer. So that must be what holiness is. He walked down an aisle and and came to an altar. So that must be what holiness is. Because what the church has to do is if they can't accept that these things are ineffectual, they have to lie about what the effect is when they haven't actually participated in the sacrifice of Christ. When the outcome is not what you expect, you have to say either this isn't real or the output... what I'm expecting is wrong. What I'm expecting is less, or what I should be expecting is less than what I am expecting. And so churches all the time, they go, oh yeah, you're a man of God. You're a man of God. You're a man of God. And the people aren't walking in righteousness at all. They redefine holiness to make it acceptable exactly like Israel did. Because they can't say, wait a second, it wasn't real in the first place. The church has to be willing to say, this is what God promises. It is real. It is effectual. People's lives are truly transformed. He actually makes a people that walk in righteous acts. He actually makes a people that are girded with truth. His sacrifice works. And so if you're not girded in righteous acts of the saints, if you're not, excuse me, if you're not clothed in righteous acts, if you're not girded with the belt, then why do you think Christ made you a priest? Because he promises to do this. That's the picture. That's why he has all these things about the garments and all this other stuff. It's so that we can understand the spiritual reality that these things point to. Faith in Christ actually cleanses the conscience. Faith in Christ actually breaks the power of sin in your life. Faith in Christ makes you a slave of righteousness. Faith in Christ actually clothes you with righteous acts. It actually girds you with truth. Because you receive the spirit of truth that guides you to all truth. 
Let's not pretend like Christ's sacrifice was as ineffectual as the sacrifices that consecrated Aaron, that consecrated the sons of Aaron. That's not true. They were physical pictures that didn't work in any spiritual way. But Christ's sacrifices worked in every spiritual way that the sacrifices that were defined in Exodus and Leviticus, they didn't work, but Christ works. Let's start to have a greater expectation of what the sacrifices of Christ will do. (coughs) Another application. Moses is a picture of Galatians 3, 21 through 23 in this passage. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should otherwise afterwards be revealed. Gives all these commandments and they're not able to obey them. And then Moses comes and says, this is, this is what you need to be able to go into the presence of God. That's what Moses does in this passage. That's what the law continues to do. It continues to point us to the need for a Savior. It continues to make it very clear, very evident that we can't walk in righteousness. We need a high priest. We need somebody to intercede for us. We can't do it by ourselves. Moses in this passage is a picture of what the law continues to do. It continues to show our insufficiency. It doesn't save anybody, but it does point to our need for salvation. Another application, being a priest was a public thing. It wasn't private. It was to be seen by all of the congregation. When they anointed, not just Aaron, but when they anointed his sons, the whole congregation was gathered together so everybody could know they were priests. I think that ties directly to Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. God is saying, if you're not a public priest, you're not a priest. If you're not a a priest when you're in public, if you're a priest where you go, oh yeah, I worship God, but then you walk out in the world and there's no testimony that you're a priest in the world, you've denied Christ. Being a priest is a public act that God does to make people be seen. That's why it starts with baptism, because baptism is a public act to say, I've been saved that I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Priesthood is public. It's not private. It's not, you don't just go, oh, it's between me and God. No, it's not between you and God. If God's involved, it's about a public profession. It's about, it's about saying, I do not deny Christ before men. That's what Christ does when he makes people a priest. Another application we should marvel it's about how all these things are so intricately woven together. How, I mean, God like plans all this and he designs all this and he causes all these, these things to happen. As we go back and we read the, those passages in Exodus and how he's designing all these different things and he's telling them this is how it should work. One of the things that we should walk away with from that is God is sovereign at the lowest level detail. 
Because that's how you can make something 1,400 years before you could put it in place to point to something 1,400 years later and have it be perfectly accurate. It's because God is sovereign. God is in control. And God still has intricate plans. He's still weaving history. He's still laying out every detail of it, just like he did when he put that tabernacle in place. When he consecrated them, he was doing all these pictures for what would happen at the time of Reformation, 1,400 years later. He did this so that it would be declared generation after generation. So we can understand God plans, and he's continuing to plan. And we can look at Daniel 2, where he says, the church of Jesus Christ, the, the kingdom of God that was, that was cut without hands, it will destroy all the kingdoms of the world. It will make them all chaff in the summer threshing floor. We can look at that, and we can go, if God could raise up Christ to fulfill all the pictures of the tabernacle, why do we think the kingdom of God will not rule in the world? Because either God is sovereign or he is not. He is either in control or he is not. He has either planned things or he is not. And the testimony of the tabernacle is God is the one who is sovereign, in control. He is the one that plans all things. And so we should marvel just even though we don't know his plans, he gives us these pictures so we can see how, how perfectly formed they are, how perfectly woven together how they are, how, how finely crafted everything is that God does. Another application, we cannot consecrate ourselves, not by any work that we can do. We can't separate ourselves from the world because everything that we do that would separate us from the world is inherently worldly because we are carnal. We are sold under sin. It has to be done by God. It has to be that we receive the oil of anointing. It cannot be work that we do. That's what's required. There is no physical thing that can possibly cleanse us. There's no physical thing that can possibly make us spiritual. If there was the ones that that God commanded Aaron and his sons to do, they would have accomplished that, and they accomplished nothing except to build up pride and arrogance. It is so important for us to recognize it is God who sets apart a people. It is not us that does it. And then the last application, are you girded with truth? The Bible talks about how even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. There's There's a point that... Not that we can't ever be misled, but there's a point that God binds his people. He, he holds us together. It's what girds us. It's what's our strength is truth. Christians have a duty to not want their own opinion. Christians have a duty to not say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. Christians have a duty to desire truth because that is what girds us. That is what strengthens us. That is what allows us to do the righteous acts of the saints. Is it a desire for truth? Are you girded by truth? Let me close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you for all these pictures that you have given us. We thank you that you are a God who, even as you close their eyes to the parables, you put them before us so that we could open our eyes and we could see truths. We could see the magnificence of what you did when you came. The magnificence of what you did by sending your spirit to anoint a people, to make a holy people, a righteous people. They can walk before you and be consecrated from the world. We thank you, Lord, that it's your work and not ours. For if it was our work, it would surely fail. But it is your work, so it will never fail. Lord, help us to be a people that walk according to your ways. Help us to be a people that are faithful priests. 
that wear the ephod, that wear the belt of truth, that wear these, these things that testify that we are your people, not by our own strength, but by the sacrifice of the high priest, Jesus Christ. May we make this known to the people around us. In your name we pray. Amen.